Good morning. I wanted to uh, thank you for coming this morning, and we have been going through the last three or four weeks of a series called Empowered Prayer. That is one of the reasons why this evening we are having a prayer event. Um, it's going to be prayer. It's not going to be a whole lot of um, any kind of music or background. We have a video, but we really want to pray. And we tried to encourage you in these last four weeks, but we're not going to end prayer. This is just the beginning. So when we talked about the last four weeks, we talked about the passion, the need that we have for prayer. It's not just because the church is going through a transitional time. It's because we do need prayer, as Bill mentioned. We need prayer. We need to draw closer to God. That's why the following week I talked about the priority of God's presence and the importance of spending time with God to be in his presence, but not just simply sharing words or talking. It's bowing down our hearts before God. Many would say, well, I've tried it, I tried it, and God just doesn't seem to be answering. It takes more than one try. If you think you're going to get to know someone in one visit, you're really never going to get to know somebody in one visit. It requires many visits. And the same with God. You need to spend time with him. Because even though we don't see him, we know he's there. That's faith. So it's important that we do that. Also, last week we talked about the persistence of prayer through wrestling. We talked about wrestling. We talked about how we have to persevere and persist with God through our struggles, our difficulties, that just that one time doesn't work. Sometimes we have to wrestle. We looked at Jacob and we realized that Jacob wrestled with God and God blessed him. Well, this week we want to talk about how we approach God and how we proclaim who we are before God. And so I entitled the sermon this week as It's a Manner of Prayer. You know, we have that expression, it's a matter of fact. Well, this is It's a Manner of Prayer. And we're going to look at Luke 18 because we have two individuals. We have a Pharisee and we have a tax collector. So I wanted to kind of preview that, but I wanted to share a story with you because we're going to be talking about pride and humility. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off of the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like a radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. You know, Benjamin Franklin said this about pride and being proud. There is perhaps no one of a natural passion so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it. As much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I am completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. And see, that's what happens. We have this tension that exists between pride and humility. And we have to ask ourselves the question because too often 
God is trying to challenge us, even in the scriptures as we see so often, that Jesus, the Son of God, both God and man, came in a humble way. He came to be born in a stable, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks. He came as a humble king. He came not looking for honor and glory from the people. Sat on a donkey. You would think as though a king would come in array and glory and honor, but he didn't. And yet now, as his people, what is it that we must do before God? How is it that we must approach God? Too often in a Western American society and church today, we, and I don't want to encourage nor insinuate that we have to create a legalistic approach of prayer. But sometimes I wonder and I ask that question, being that I'm still on the younger end of life, that how often today we don't realize who we're approaching. Sometimes I wonder, and by the way, y'all don't give me no amen, you who are older saying, see, I know it, he's going to give me an amen. But the thing is, is what I'm saying is that sometimes we just don't know who we're approaching. He's the creator, Jehovah Barah. Barah is the Hebrew word for creator. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He is Elohim Yahweh Adonai. His name describes who he is. And see, God is so merciful and gracious because although he's in his infinitude, when he's far away and he is who he is, he still is willing to say, I want to draw near to those whom I created. So we're not God's children because we're created by God. The Bible says we're God's children because we've trusted in the Son. And the Holy Spirit that resides in us because of that. And so in the manner by which we should come, too often it's a natural thing because sometimes we just are proud. But I see a difference between being proud and having pride. You have a son, you have a daughter, you're proud when their accolades have been awarded to them when they get honorable, or when they've gotten their, went through graduation of high school, if they reach college and they've graduated. I mean, most people today would just hope that their children would go to college. But even if they don't, that they begin a program and they finish it. So you can be proud. There's nothing wrong with that. But pride is when we want our children to do better than they do so they can reflect us. That's reputation. That's pride. We want them to succeed so that we can succeed. And it's not proud anymore, it's pride because it sits in and we think that they have to become the way we want them to become. See, pride kind of sits in and it eats at us and it consumes us. And when we look at Luke 18, 9 through 14, we know a very certain individual by the name of a Pharisee that how he would present himself before God. But we have to look at this for a short moment to find out what that means. So if you look at your outline, the first thing we have to ask ourselves the question is, a person who is proud before God, how are they? Or how are they proud, as we mentioned? How are they, they? So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be proud? Most who are proud assess oneself. So whenever we're proud before God, we see the Pharisee, he began to assess himself. Interesting because that's what pride is. It's a self-evaluation. But what are usually the results? Usually high marks. <laughs> Whenever we assess ourselves, we have high marks. We say, hmm, I just did this. Uh, I'll be nice to myself. I'll give myself an A and not an A+. 
and then I'll be really nice and be humble and I'll just give myself an A minus. But if you ask the next person who's watching you and say, what do you think? What do you give me a grade? Can I be honest with you? Yeah, 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 go ahead. And you're saying, I bet they're going to give me an A. I bet they're going to give me an A. And they go, dude, may I give you a C minus? And you're like, what? All of a sudden, it was like the assessment has become reality. Because too often, pride sets in, and we don't give someone else a chance to come in and assess us. But see, the Pharisee who's coming in, he doesn't look to anyone else but himself. He goes upon tradition. He goes upon what he's known. He's set in a box, and he's not interested in looking at anything else. Pride, when it sets in, we're not interested in anyone else's assessment. In fact, we find that to be a barricade or something that stops us from advancing. We think that if we could just assess ourselves, we could advance. But the reality is evaluation assessment is necessary for us to move forward. So what is that assessment was solely based on keeping the law for the, for the Pharisee. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to bring glory to God, but they would keep it and they would add to it. So they would add rules and regulations in order to determine whether they were righteous before God. And so what we understand about the law in the Old Testament is that there is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That greatest commandment was promoting relationship. But what they did is they came in and said, we're going to promote rules and regulations, traditions, and ceremonial laws. Why? Because you and I, we can measure that. And when we measure it, then we can say, according to this measuring tool here, in this box, I have fulfilled everything I was supposed to fulfill. So when you do a self-assessment, it's easy to say, check, 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 check. But with relationship, it's not so easy. See, with relationship, we fail. We fail often. We say things we shouldn't. We get frustrated. We share our frustration. We're rude at times. We're dishonoring toward other people. When we talk about someone behind their back, we're gossiping. We're defaming them. We're slandering them. And see, God is saying that is not what pride is about. That's not what God wants us to be when we go before him. We want to know that God desires relationships, so we must approach him differently. But the Pharisee wasn't interested in that. So let's look at verse 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 Jesus is sharing this parable, and it says in verse 9, he also told this parable. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So this earthly story is about a heavenly meaning. He says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Let me just stop there a second. Because the word trusted really means to be persuaded in the Greek. But in the voice that it's in, in the perfect active, it's translated to have confidence. So when, he's, when this particular word in its grammatical structure is next to a dative and it's a preposition, it changes the meaning and then it says they had confidence about themselves. So when you read that, you're saying they trusted and had confidence in themselves. That's what their idea of righteousness was. They, they had a self-evaluation And they said, I am righteous because I determined that I am righteous. 
And when you and I determine that we are righteous, when we find confidence in oneself and not God, that becomes the idea of pride. When we find confidence in what we do rather than who we are before God. Too often when we present ourselves before God, we say, well, God, I've done the checklist. I've done everything you told me to do. And God's saying, that's not what I want. But yet we, or the Pharisee, sometimes what we do is it's an easier measuring tool. We just check it off, and then we proclaim us being righteous. And we present ourselves before God, and then we do that. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So often I struggle with this. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest in saying that I struggle because I'll look at myself, I'll look at my life, I'll see what I'm doing, and then I'll say, yes, Lord, I know that you're pleased with me because I'm doing A, B, and C. And then I'll present myself before the Lord and say, Lord, you must be shining with a great big smile on me today, aren't you? Because I'm doing all these things. And the Lord is like, keep it down, son. Just get in front of me. Don't worry about those things. Realize that I'm not interested in what you do. I'm interested in who you are in my son. What I'm doing in you, not what you do for me. And see, this is important because it's so subtle. You don't even think about it. It's so natural because you and I as humans, we want lists and we want to check things off. We have the to-do lists every day and we make sure we get everything done. And with God, we do the same thing. We go before God and we say, God, see, look, I know I feel confident today because I've been praying, I've been reading, I've been seeking you, and, I'm, and Lord, I'm feeling confident. It's all great when you feel confident, but we have to ask ourselves the question, where does our confidence lie? If it's in the Lord, hallelujah, but if it's in ourselves, we have to do a self-evaluation and ask ourselves, where is our confidence lie? Because they did their self-evaluation and answered the question. So a proud person is one who finds confidence in themselves instead of finding confidence with God. You know, pride is a funny thing. It says pride is a dandelion of the soul. Its roots goes deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. And see, so often when we're lifting people up or I'm seeing this to-do list and I'm thinking I'm doing well, I have to be careful that pride doesn't slip in. That's important. Secondly, a proud person is not comparing themselves to God, but comparing oneself to others. They compare themselves to one another. So one compares oneself to others. Look what he says here, and again in verse 9, when he says that, um, he says he looks down on everyone. That's one of the versions. He looks down on or treats others with contempt. That word in the Greek, it says to show by one's attitude or manner of treatment that an entity has no merit or worth. Meaning when you and I are lifted up in righteousness and pride, we naturally put other people down. Why? So we can lift ourselves back up. When we compare ourselves, a sin of comparison, we devalue people. We find no worth in other people. When we're prideful, we think that we can just do it all on our own and we don't need anyone else. So we look down. It's subtle. We don't think about it. You would say, oh, no, 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 Bruno, I don't think that way. I would never say that. I, I, dev- I value people. I don't devalue them. But in our hearts... When we're struggling to find that we look at people when they don't perform the way we want them to, we start to compare them to us. 
So many people are struggling and maybe sometimes someone can't perform because they're going through a difficult time. They just lost a loved one. They're, they're having a hard time at work. They're struggling with their child. They're going through difficult times in their marriage and yet we assess based on what we see or we assess something and then we devalue them in our hearts. And see, with God, we do the same thing because then we devalue people and then we want to go and approach God and say, oh God, oh God, oh God, look at me. And see, these are hard questions. This is something we have, to, we have to look at and ask ourselves. Even Galatians 6, 4 says, let each one examine his own work, then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. And see, that word again, what pride even in Galatians is saying that to look and take an assessment to determine what you're doing and not try to compare yourself to someone else. Because in the last part of that verse, he says, we often compare ourselves because we have to bear our own load. So if you and I are looking at other people, because I know there are people at work that you're comparing yourself to. You're wondering, am I going to keep my job? Am I doing okay? Am I getting by? Is there something going on? Or, you know, when you have family members and you have siblings, and, you know, who's going to be the favorite of mom or dad? Even in your adult years, you're still trying to become the favorite of mom and dad, and you're comparing yourself with your sibling to determine who is that. No, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. I mean, children are doing that. We see that with my own children. My children are fighting over who's going to get closer to mommy. They don't seem to fight that over with me, but they fight that over with mom. They want mommy all the time. Then dad comes around and goes, oh, it's just you, dad. But when mom comes, they're fighting over who could be with mommy because they know who takes care of them. I try. But the thing is, though, there's something great about mommy. And you know what? They're doing that as young adolescents. But guess what? We as adults can do the same thing. It's still stuck in our hearts from there. We tend to just compare ourselves to everything around us. And see, that is something that will set in pride. But why is it that we get caught up in this sin of comparison? Inadequacies? Insufficiencies? We don't like what we see inside. We look in the mirror and we just don't like it. We compare ourselves to the world, how someone else looks. We think we're not beautiful enough, not handsome enough, not strong enough. We're not athletic enough. We just don't have any value. See, the reason why we put other people down or look down at other people sometimes is because we don't like what we see inside. And that affects our relationship with God. Because when God looks at you, he says, I love you. I love everything about you. I love everything. I am your greatest fan. And you're like, oh, Lord, I'm tired of this gibberish. Come on, Lord, look at me. How in the world could you say that you're my greatest fan? There's nothing for you to even look at. The Lord's saying, I love you. I sent my son for you. He died in your place. But Lord, look at me. Look at me. And the Lord says, I am looking at you and I love you. Oh, how I love you. Just like that song. He just loves us but we still fight with inadequacies and insufficiencies. Insecurities, the lack of confidence, superiority, wanting control and power and dominance because when you were younger, you couldn't control your parents. You were younger and you couldn't get a word in. Your parents were constantly controlling and badgering and powering over you. Now that you're an adult, you're trying to get the last word in. I struggled with this. God had to change me. I'm going to be vulnerable before you guys. I had a very powerful, verbal, abusive father. He loved me. He loved our family. He worked hard. 
but we just couldn't get a word in. God had to help me with that. And you learn every day. It's reminded every day. Because why? Because so often we struggle with it. We have to be honest before God. If we're going to go before the Lord in prayer, we have to be honest. We're never going to be able to be empowered the way God expects us if we keep hiding our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, and our insecurities. Because you know what? It can breed arrogance or anger toward God. Part of why I wrote my book, and I'm not trying to put a a big uh, promotion on my book, but part of what I wrote was anger because I had to experience that. And God had to deliver me from it because of the fact that so often we struggle with these things. See, if, if I can be vulnerable before you and I can be vulnerable before God, and I think that's what we need to do. We cannot be vulnerable before God if we're still holding on to these issues in our lives. God will not allow us, he loves us too much, to get us to the next level unless we're willing to deal with these things. See, when we assess ourselves, it's very easy to criticize and complain about others. Why? Because we're not able to be truthful to ourselves. Why? Because it's painful to admit we need change, we need correction, that we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We need this desperately. We, can't, we, just, we are the kind, we are kind to our, to our own selves sometimes because we're not able to see our own defects and faults and shortcomings. But it was God who helped me to see all this. My prayer is that God would help each one of us see that in our lives. Thirdly, a proud person before God forgets to look at God. Look at verse 11. It says this, because in verse 10 it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. There was two areas. There was an inner court and an outer court. The Gentiles sat out in the outer court. The inner court were for the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, for those who got closer into the, into the temple area. Pharisee was close, and he stood before to pray. And as he stood before to pray, he, you know, standing up and praying in the temple area was common. So it wasn't though he was doing that in an uncommon way. But the parable demonstrates that the Pharisee had confidence, and his confidence is in the assessment of his own righteousness. So he stood before the Lord. NIV says he stood and prayed about himself. The NET says standing by himself. The ESV says stood and was praying to himself. NASB says, stood and prayed thus with himself. There's a question why I'm sharing all these versions. Because in the Greek, it's holding something important. When he says the word God in verse 11, when it says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus God, the question is, before he said God, was who is he praying to? Because in the Greek, there is a debate whether he was praying by himself or he was praying to himself. Watch out now, because this is important. Because if you're praying with God, or to God, there should be of some supplication. But notice what the Pharisee is saying. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Now let's stop there a second. Because he doesn't set a petition, he just lists something. And his his statement of list is, I'm not like other men. So what we have to determine here is, 
Some scholars believe that. God, I thank you. So it suggests whether he's on. Now, he's forgetting God for a moment because then it goes on to say this. Like other men. See, a proud man keeps an account for a thing of what one does. So here is his account. Because he starts to go further. He goes, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He didn't just say that sinners, he went further to say that these sinners who sin like this. But he goes, not me, Lord. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I got. And I'm sure he did. Because Pharisees would fast twice a week. Unlike what they were supposed to, because they were just supposed to do it once a year at the Day of Atonement. But they did it on Mondays and Thursdays. And then he tithed, and he would even give more of a tithe. So I'm sure he did all this. But he calls out the sinner, not in his being, but in what he was doing. Now that's even harder. That's like taking a sword, poking someone, just going across the skin into the stomach, and then driving it in and twisting it. And saying, Lord, I'm not like these habitual sinners. Look what I do. So he didn't even go into who he is. He says, look what I do. Look what they do, but look what I do. He's keeping an account. But here's a key word. You guys might find it to be strange. He said, I thank you that I am not like other men. The word men there is anthropos. Is where we get anthropology. Man. He's making a statement that says, I am not like man. Well, he's not like man, then who is he? A superman? See, you and I stand before God as man standing condemned before God, sinners. It's, we don't have to do anything to stand before God as a sinner. We stand before God, the Bible says, at our birth, condemned before him. And so here he's going and he's saying, I'm not like other men. So what he was saying there was, I am not a sinner. That's what he's saying there. I'm not a sinner. I'm not like these men who are sinners. I'm a superhuman. I'm more, I, am, I have morality. I'm good. I do everything well. Look at me. Look what I do. I fast twice a week and I tithe. How often do you and I struggle with that? Let's be sincerely honest. Because if we're not struggling on the other end of insecurities, sometimes we look at what we do and we struggle with that thought to saying, look at me, Lord. I'm really doing a lot of good things. And that's a challenge for each one of us. But this Pharisee was in a league of his own because what he was saying to God is, I don't even need you. He wasn't even praying to God. I would take the view that he wasn't even praying to God because he was so zealous that he thought everything he was doing was already righteous, he didn't need God. Because why would Jesus then mention the other, the other person? See, a person who is humble before God, one, recognizes God's position and how he has the, he has the power to solve it. Look with me the verse 13, because now we're transitioning right into 13. It says, but the tax collector, as we know, the scum of the earth, the people who roam threw out there to get money, and what the tax collector did, as we know even as Zacchaeus, is that he pifled money, stole it, he took it, he added more to his pocket. He would say something was $100, he would charge him $200, take the $100 and put it in his pocket. The tax collector, most of them were considered, that was the stereotype, the scum of the earth. But the tax collector, 
as Jesus mentions here, standing far off. Here is the Pharisee standing in the inner courts. Here is the tax collector standing far off. Let me stop there to say this. This is important. Standing far off is what people often believe about God. The world out there right now, people who don't have a relationship with God, those who are far away from God, really believe God's not interested in them. I know, I was one of them. When I was growing up and I was struggling to understand, I, I gotta be honest with you, I always thought God is not interested in me a sinner. He's just not. God is not interested in me. And it's so often is what we have to ask ourselves the question is, is he interested in us? And God stood afar, or, this, or the, the tax collector stood afar, and God is saying, I want to draw near. And so he stood afar, and it says, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. You know, in the scriptures, it's quite clear that many would have, but he even goes on far as saying this, but he beat his breath saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he's already recognizing that God is the one who can heal his situation. He's down and out. He stood afar. He's empty. He doesn't know what to do. He needs God's mercy. He needs God's covering. And he's asking that question, God, I need help please help me. And he's asking himself that question, who can help me? God can solve my problem. See, the word mercy is the same word that we look at as propitiation in Hebrews. The same as we look in Romans 3.25, that Jesus Christ covered for the sinner. So when he was asking for mercy, he knew God could cover that. How often that when we go before God with humility and with understanding that we have to go before him saying, God, here I am humbled before you. I need you. Too often, God's not going to answer someone just because they're all together. God's not interested in what we do. God's interested in our hearts, drawing close to him and saying, God, I need you. When we are praying and when we're crying out, the manner by which we must come before God is saying that you are God, I am not, you can solve my problem. Here it is, Lord, here's my problem. And that's what these, this particular individual was doing. As a sinner, he was standing before God, recognizing that. See, what happens to a person when they're growing up in a church? Well, a person who has grown up in a church begins to believe the culture ingrained in their minds and transfers to their heart. When we live in a Christian culture, we believe that God died for believers rather than sin. When we live in this culture, when we're stuck in the four walls and we're constantly doing things together as believers... We start to believe a message, and it's, not, it's something that comes subtle. We start to think that Christ died for only believers. And we, don't, we forget as the church that Christ died for sinners. And when he died for sin and we are sinners, we are the church to reach the lost who are far away. When this tax collector was far away, it's because he felt that way. People out there are feeling that way. We are the agents to share that with them. But how do we do that? By showing forth what Christ has done for us. By the work he's done in us, we can show that in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in everything that we, in our families, we can do that, but it needs to begin because when you're growing up in the church, and I haven't grown up in the church, I grew up at 20 years old, I didn't know Christ, I came to Christ, but knowing Christ for 30 years, I could see how this could slip in and change our mentality. 
Because when you're growing up in the church, you continually think that the church is for the believers, the church is for the believers, the church is for the believers. But we may not admit this verbally, but then, you know, we have to ask those questions because people who are habitually sinning, we think God is not interested in them. Because they're habitually sinning like a tax collector, God would not be interested in a person like that. God's an interest in people who come close to him. And God wants to use us to be those agents to reach. When he changes us, we can have that opportunity to change others. And God wants to use that in us. But it has to begin with us recognizing that God is the one. See, it's two, recognizing one's position and how this one is powerless to solve it. And three, we must compare ourselves to God. Comparing oneself to God is one who is humble before God. Look, I mean, he said he would not even look up to heaven. He realized who God is. He realized that he could never compare himself to God. He realized he was the creator and God was the creator. He realized there was no way he can solve his problem because he knew at that point that it was only God who can solve his problem. See, the chiasm that exists between God and man is impossible to solve. For man can't solve it. But God has solved it. How often people spend money upon money upon money to solve their problems and there's a free gift waiting for them. And who else are they going to hear it but from you and I? If we're their billboard for Jesus. They, you, can be a greater witness than I could ever be. I can't reach the people at your jobs. I can't reach the people in your neighborhoods. I can't reach your family members. I can't do it. But you can. Because God's given you the message. God's given you and I the message of the gospel to reach those far away from God who are habitually sinning. God is interested in habitual sinners. That's why he goes on in chapter 18 into 19. When, right, when Luke is writing this, he's writing this with a, in the pericope and the narrative to say God is interested in sinners. That's why he reached out to Zacchaeus. Because he is interested to break people free from sin. They're in bondage, and he wants to see the breakthrough to happen. But he wants to use you and I. He wants to use us. We don't want people to become what we want them to become. We want them to become what God wants them to become. And that's key, because if we don't gather this in our minds, we're going to miss the purpose of it. People need to look to heaven. But before they look to heaven... They need to know there's a God who wants to meet them where they're at. Jesus often, when, and even in John 11 and John 17, he looked to heaven when he spoke to his heavenly father. The psalmist in 123.1 says that I look to the heavens and there I find God. See, the sinner is looking down, but when God meets them, they can look up. The Pharisee is looking up, but when God hits him with his pride, he goes down. See, God wants to, as it says in verse 14, he wants to exalt the humble. He wants to abase those who are proud. See, God is interested. And you and I, when we present ourselves before God, when we're praying, when we're seeking God, we must come with that humility. We must come with that God, oh God, have a mercy on me. See, what we, you and I have to understand is that God is interested and changing us before he's interested in changing others. So which person are you? 
how do we demonstrate humility in prayer? Let me just share a few things here. One is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself. Too often people think that in order to be humble is to devalue themselves before God. God doesn't devalue you. God loves you. He values you. He finds you to be a, he created you. You're a masterpiece. And God's saying, I want to change you. God doesn't want to devalue you, but sometimes what we need to understand is we need to talk or be less about ourselves. Thinking less, meaning thinking less about what we want, thinking less about what we want in life, thinking less about what some of the things that we could get. God's saying, turn your attention on me and let me lift you up. I'll change your heart, change your passion that you'll want more of Jesus. And that's what God does. I've been challenged with that for years. I've been challenged with I always think about what I can get accomplished, what I can be, my short-term goals, my long-term goals, all kinds of goals. And then God stopped me and saying, where's your goals for me? And I'm like, oh, forgot, Lord. Okay, I'm going to throw you in there. You're under this one right here, under the long-term goal and a short-term goal. Lord, I just put you in different goals. God's like, no, I, I need to be the first one on your list. See, too often what I did is what we've, we've said for years. I'll write a list of everything I want, and I want God to sign the bottom of the list. But I've learned over the years, and still learned, that I need to just put a sheet of paper in front of God and saying, I sign it. It's empty. Fill it up, Lord. What do you want me to do? See, that's what it comes down to. God doesn't devalue us. He wants to lift us up. He wants to use us to reach others who are far away from him, who don't know who he is and wants to know who he is, but doesn't understand that God is interested in him. And you and I can share that great message. So you know what I'm trying to say to you is that when you and I humble ourselves before God, when we're saying, God, change us, use us, what do you want, not what I want, God begins to use you as a vessel to reach others who are lost and far away. God wants to use you and I. And how often... We forget that in our relationship with God. He wants to use you at your workplaces. He wants to use you to witness to someone. He wants you to say, Lord, who do you want me to talk to this week? But you can't give up until you keep fighting and you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight. A few weeks ago in our church, and I'm not going to call it the person whatever, but I spoke to someone after our harvest home. And after I spoke with this person, this person began to ask those questions. I really want to know who God is. Bing! I said, I know who God is. I want to share him with you. And we proceeded, and that person made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's a relationship, and it's a start. And it's the beginning of a journey that is awesome but hard. Challenging but rewarding difficult at times, but when you and I can be used of God to lead someone to Christ, it's like, yes, now I know why I'm on the team. I'm on the team to reach others for the kingdom. But before we do that, we have to learn how to humble ourselves before God. Because when we learn to do that, then God is wanting to use you and I. See, secondly, how do we, we proclaim, you, you and I, we have to a person has to proclaim their unworthiness, not all of their sin. Now, this is so important. So often we have a list of sin, and we think we just have to humble ourselves and just list all our sins before God. But let me just share what this could sound like sometimes. And if I'm letting you in on my prayer life, please forgive me. 
For instance, we could say, Lord, I confess my sin of anger toward my friend. I know I shouldn't have reacted this way, but Lord, it was hard. I mean, he embarrassed me and humiliated me in front of all my friends. He gossiped about me and even tried to get others to come against me. Lord, I know I shouldn't have reacted this way, but he shouldn't act this way either. In fact, Lord, please change him and show him that you love him. Help him to see that what he did was wrong. I confess my name in Jesus, or confess my sin in Jesus' name, amen. Where did that just go? That started with, Lord, please work on me, and then I started listing the other person's sins and said, you need to change the other person before you change me. All of a sudden now, I'm trying to list my sins, and I go off on the deep end and start saying something like, wait a minute, God, I think that person needs to change. Now that I rationalized it and justified it, I'm really not sinning. It's the other person. They were the one who mistreated me. So, Lord, you know what? Why don't you change them, and I confess my sin in Jesus' name, amen. All of a sudden now, we think humility is starting to confess our sins and listing them A to Z. But that tax collector wasn't listing his sins. All he said was, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. He proclaimed his unworthiness before God. So even if you had a great day and you didn't sin, (laughs) then all of a sudden it's like you say, oh, Lord, I don't know. I don't have to humble myself because I didn't sin. I had a great day. I really was good. I was good to my husband. I was good to my wife. I was good to my kids. I didn't yell and scream at them today. And you know what? I didn't yell or scream at my boss or my boss didn't fire me for doing that. Hey, you know what, Lord? I had a great day. No sin. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. But we have to ask ourselves. Humility starts with saying, God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence before we even consider proclaiming sin. See, the word, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says, Paul said, for I am the least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. The word unworthy is two words. There is not and worthy, okay? So worthy means meeting a standard, fit, appropriate, competent, qualified, and able. So if you put the not in there, it's not able to meet a standard, not able to fit or appropriate or or be competent or qualified or able. Then it goes on to say this in Colossians 1.12, Paul states this, God has qualified us. He has taken us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of his son. Why we're unworthy is because we're not able to meet the standard. Why are we unworthy? Because we're not competent enough or qualified enough. So who made us qualified? Jesus. So when you and I are standing before the throne of God in prayer with great confidence and boldness, It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with what we've done. It has nothing to do with all of our accolades. It has all to do with God because you and I cannot meet the standard and Christ had to meet the standard and he made it clear it's always but God. You know, Lord, I'm I'm here, I'm there, I'm here, I'm there, but God. Even Paul said in Ephesians, but God. Transitioning from chapter 2 forward. And see, you and I have to understand that that's where true empowerment happens. Knowing on your best day, good is not good enough to please God. Empowerment doesn't come through power and position, but through humility and prayer. Jesus came as a humble servant. 
how much does he expect you and I to stand before God? Because when you and I are humble and he changes us, he's going to use us to change others. You know, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you turn with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says this. I'm going to teach you another Greek word here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Dogza is the word for glory in Greek. Kino is empty. The kenosis theory of Jesus being the Father, or Jesus being God and man, he, he emptied himself. Well, the Greek word for selfish ambition is kinodogza. So when you're walking around, you say kinodogza. It means I don't want the glory, I want God to get the glory. So you and I, selfish ambition and conceit could even trickle into the church. You and I could fall into that trap and forget who's the glory supposed to go to. You and I realize that nothing will be empowered by God, nothing will ever happen unless we humble ourselves before God and say we are not qualified, God has qualified us, and he is saying no more selfish ambition or conceit, just humility. Because if you want selfish ambition and conceit, it's kinodogza, empty glory. It's empty, vain glory. Why? Because you and I can die at any time and enter into the presence of God. And guess what? Everything we planned, all the different things that we did, God's saying, it stops. It stops right here. I've taken you from this earth. Everything we must do must come from God. And anything that's empowered by God must come through humility. Let me just share one other last verse here. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I hope that tonight you'll be able to make it. I hope that it's possible that you do because we're trying to come together as a people of God to pray. But here's what this, the sincerity of this, even James said it in verse 16. He goes, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's something we hope to do tonight, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's powerful. It's empowering. Why? Because when the righteous man who stands before God, righteous, not the Pharisee, but God who qualifies someone to be righteous, you and I will see the empowerment that happens through prayer. When we stand before God and know that we're unworthy to be in his presence, that it's only by his mercy and his grace that we can be in his presence, and then when we realize and proclaim our unworthiness, God says, this is where I'm at work. Wow. Because that's when I have seen in my life and in many others that when we want to see some empowerment upon a church, even in transition, it begins with prayer. I see it. I see it in the scriptures. I've seen it in my life. I know you have seen it in your life. But when people come back to me and say, Bruno, I am really praying. Yes. We've got to depend on God's power. It is only God's power that can get any church. Even if we were a church that was advancing and moving and wasn't in transition, this preaching, this word wouldn't be no different. It would be no different. Because you and I, as a people of God, we must be praying. And you and I have to examine our lives and determine whether or not we are 
humbling ourselves before God and not walking around proud. God wants to change us, but he's got to change each one of us. And I want to encourage you, the empowerment's only going to happen when God does it through us. So the challenge is going to be, is it God? Are we going to be proud, thinking it's what we do, or it's what God is going to do through a humble servant, an empty vessel like you and I? That's the question. Steve and Natalie come up to finish up. We want, we want to ask those questions. I want to encourage you today. It's something God wants to work on you and I. I don't say this boasting because there's nothing for me to boast on. I can just tell you that I want to challenge you as I'm challenging myself to pray, to cry out to God in humility, to sit before him on your knees and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And watch what God does through you and I as we look to him. So I want to just pray for a moment before we finish in our last song to ask God to do that work in each one of us. Father, thank you. It's a hard message because it's from you. It's a reality. It's an evaluation and assessment. Lord, it's easy for us to assess ourselves. The humble man has nothing to assess, just pleads for mercy. God, that's where you want us. Humble, having no clue what's next, but knowing we're relying on you. So I pray that you would stir us up not to look at what we're doing, but what you are going to do. And Lord, I know that you want to use us to reach those who are far away from you. Thank you for the example. Because in verse 14, it says that the tax collector went away justified, not the Pharisee. You want to justify us. You want to declare us righteous. That's the only way we have any righteous standing before you. So God, today, challenge us as we have this hard message before us in Jesus' name.